Happy New Year, film fans. What is up? Welcome into episode 66 of the Second Day Film Podcast. It's the official podcast of the Second Day Film Club. I'm your host, Brandon Champion, joined as always by the movie maestros, Mike Nichols and Evan Dean on Sunday, January 9th, 2022. So good to be back talking to you guys and, of course, the audience. Uh, I know on the last pod, I believe we all said that we hopefully would have less break in between and instead we had a longer one. So sorry about that. Uh, the holidays happen. We're traveling. You know, family comes into town, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. Um, whatever. I digress. We're here now. Coming up tonight, we're going to discuss what I think is a four pack of very original films. Mike, Evan, we've got no blockbusters, no established canon here. Just just filmmaking, which is refreshing, I think, because uh, we certainly spend a lot of time on blockbusters on this show. But before we get to all that, Mike, we need to get your thoughts on Hoop Dreams. For those of you who don't know, Evan has been trying to get Mike and I to watch the documentary forever. Uh, not unlike Mike and I trying to get Evan to watch Lord of the Rings, but but quickly, Mike, why don't why don't you give us your brief thoughts on Hoop Dreams, and then Evan, you can have a brief reaction, and then we'll get into the show. Yeah, so Hoop Dreams, the incredible 1994 documentary that uh, follows two young black high school students in Chicago and their dream of becoming NBA players. Uh, this is an incredible filmmaking piece of art right here. It's it does such a good job of digging into these two young men's lives, showing their home life, showing their school life, showing their life on the, on and off the court. Uh, and um, it's just such a, it's such a good storytelling achievement that really does stand the test of time. Uh, and I don't know if it's maybe cause it was 1994, but like just when you're watching it, it almost feels like you're watching home video and that like makes it feel more, realistic like you really know these people it, it just looks and feels so real and it's just a, a timeless kind of narrative of that kind of cinderella dream of you know when you come from you know nothing and you, you don't have a lot of resources around you how do you get to pursue those dreams when they just feel so out of reach and how do how do you sometimes yourself get in the way of them or how does how does the culture get in the way of them it's um it's a really really good good piece of um, documentary filmmaking. And I was just rooting for those two guys all the way. Um, I, it, it definitely made me want to go look up their life stories and see what happened to them. And uh, yeah, Evan, I get why it was a meaningful documentary. I totally also see why in 1994, like this was an incredible piece of documentary filmmaking. Like it feels like you're watching something that was made maybe just only a couple of years ago. It doesn't feel that outdated. Um, and this was made like almost 30 years ago. So yeah, props to uh, Steve James who directed this. Uh, props to those two young guys and their families and friends who like let their whole lives be filmed. Um, this was just a really special piece of art, and I'm really glad that you recommended it, Evan. Thank you. I give it. A yeah, name. yeah, great. Yeah, I mean, it's one of my top ten favorite films ever. Um, it was Roger Ebert's number one movie of the 1990s. It's got a 98 on Metascore, so. If, if that isn't enough <laughs> reasons for people to watch this. Um, yeah, I first saw it when I was in high school. My English class decided to play it. And it, we watched it over the course of a week because you could only watch, you know, 40 minutes at a time. And it's a three hour beast of a documentary. Yeah. Um, and then I watched it again uh, later, maybe a couple more times. And that's when when I was an adult, I really um, really felt the impact of this film. You know, they devoted so much time. Um, to following these two young men. I mean, it's, you know, a documentary that covers several years and yeah. just the way in which they captured 
the highs and the lows um, beyond basketball, right? I mean, we're talking about um, urban America, really. It's about urban America, poverty, drug use. Um, I mean, it's just such an incredible um, documentary just about inner city life, um, you know, particularly uh, for the black community and the inequities that, you know, we saw then, we still see now. I mean, I just thought they did such a good job capturing all that and presenting it in a way that wasn't too on the nose, but you felt and saw it all. Um, and you were, you, you were taken, you know, you took so much away from it. So anyway, I know I've already spoken about it um, before, so I'm really glad that you liked it. Cause yeah, I think champ, it's when you got to see. Oh, and I plan that, on seeing yeah. it. It's on my list. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I've, it's been on it forever. Obviously, this is kind of a running joke with us. But uh, yeah, it's the only documentary to ever be nominated also for editing as well. So, I mean, obviously, I mean, I'm just looking down the Wikipedia list right now of all the you know top documentary lists that it's been on. So definitely worthy of the hype that you've been giving it, Evan. Um, Mike, I'm glad you took the initiative to watch it. <laughs> um, you know, you know, taking the recommendation of, you know, uh, you know, really smart film people to heart and taking mm. it and uh, watching mm. something that is certainly a landmark moment in the history of film uh, history. So yes. I mean, we don't know any other movies like that, do we? That maybe Evan <laughs> would want to return the favor. Well, actually, champ, I happen to know of three of them and they're called Lord of the Rings. And Evan, we had this this kind of agreement where if I, we watched Hoop Dreams, you would watch Lord of the Rings. So now I have seen Hoop Dreams. Yeah. We need you to watch Lord of the Rings. I, I don't know. We've been texting for months about this. And the, uh. it's what the people want. They want to hear you that you review it. Uh, when are you going to watch at least Fellowship of the Ring? Well, so we were talking about this in our text chain. I've got four, at least four, egregious movie sins, meaning films or series that, that I've not seen. And Champ's been trying to get me to watch Saving Private Ryan for years. Uh, I've not seen Star Wars, at least not in, t- in its entirety. I've seen dribs and drabs of the Star Wars franchise. I've not seen the Godfather trilogy, and I've not seen Lord of the Rings. So... I mean, it's like I, I have to catch up. We didn't up at really some ask point. you for those other ones. We asked you when you were going to watch Fellowship. Public well, shaming is on the table. Uh, Mike has has <laughs> thought about harassment, uh, maybe sending memes like relentlessly every day. Um, so uh, let's, let's just know, Evan, that uh, the Second Day Film Club is considering more drastic measures okay. uh, now I, that Mike has watched Hoop Dreams. But we, we, we really got to move on. We got four movies. All right. Movie. Uh, let, let's get into it, but just know the sharks are swimming. The sharks are circling, Evan. Uh, just know. Hope you sleep nice tonight. Uh, if you could please like, rate, interview the podcast wherever you're listening, you can check out our old episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Look at our Facebook page. We put stuff up there every once in a while. Uh, um, sadly, just lost Sydney Portier. So, uh, you know, we put a little story up there. Probably should do a, a better job tributing some of these people. We lost Brett, Betty White since our last recording. Mm. So, um, you know, obviously these are film icons that we've lost. And, uh, you know, it's been busy. But we should really uh, devote more time to these when we have the opportunities. But we got to get into this, guys. We got four movies to get to today. And, and like I said off the top, like it's nice. Like I was going through these movies that we're going to review today and you really do have um, original movies that are, you know, made by directors. And um, they, while they might be based on some, some source material or, you know, real life events. Um, I think that you have sort of auteur directors. You got Adam McKay in here, uh, Edgar Wright. I mean, these are guys who are known for having their own distinct styles. So uh, it'd be fun to dive into these movies. Uh, but first we're going to start with one that me and Mike saw 
Uh, it's on HBO Max. It's called King Richard. Uh, it, it is a look at how tennis superstars Venus and Serena Williams became who they are after coaching from their father, Richard Williams. It's directed by Ronaldo Marcus Green. Uh, this this film is is really read but led by Will Smith in the title role as Richard Williams. Uh, some other supporting players as well. But uh, Mike, this I mean I, I I have some thoughts on this movie. I I, I thought it was an enjoyable watch, but. Um, I guess the first thing you got to talk about is Will Smith. I mean, he's he we've seen him take dramatic roles and and sort of try and make them their own, you know, to mix success in films like Concussion um, to more success in a movie like Pursuit of Happiness. But um, when when uh, when we first meet uh, um, Will Smith playing Richard Williams in this movie, he's doing like this. He's got like a lisp and he's doing like a southern accent. And it's a little jarring when he first comes on because it almost feels like he's like trying too hard, uh, in my opinion. But after seeing live action footage of the guy, I really grew to appreciate Will Smith's performance in this. Yeah. I mean, this film is definitely a vehicle for Will Smith to kind of show off his acting chops and, and maybe even put his name in the running for award season. Um, Yeah. So this is the story of uh, Richard Williams, who was the father of, uh, or is, I guess, the father of the incredible tennis players, Venus and Serena Williams, two of the greatest uh, tennis players of all time. And uh, yeah, it just kind of is meant to follow his upbringing of the girls and then kind of their early kind of wins. Um, and it just kind of covers his mindset and his, the, just the struggles that he had to go through to get them seen by coaches and make sure they had a safe space to play tennis and in, in kind of a rough neighborhood in Compton. And um, so, yeah, this is really Richard's story and it is in some ways a tribute to Richard, which means it's probably not going to be the most accurate portrayal of how he really was, but it's a very loving kind of remember the good moments of him kind of portrayal. I would say like, even when I was watching it, there were certain things that were happening that were portrayed very like, oh, it wasn't a big deal. Like he had them out at night in the rain and he was forcing them to still train. And it's just portrayed as, oh yeah, he's just a, you know, he just wants to help them. And the girls are like, ha ha, we're laughing in the rain. I'm like, I have a feeling these kids were not out in the rain being like, oh yay, our dad's making us do this again. It's so fun. And then they get child services called on them. And then it's just like, Oh really? Like we're just trying to help our kids, and you all want to like stop I us from being have to agree. I, like, I kind of disagree uh, with you on that, though, Mike. I I, I don't think that I, I don't think the movie was portrayed. I think that they showed him as very flawed. Like if you like, I think that I I agree with you that it is Richard's story. Like it's one hundred percent told through his uh, perspective, which to begin with, I think is a really interesting way to sort of talk about Venus and Serena Williams, who are obviously two of these most you know iconic tennis players, but. Like, I, I do think it was better to approach it from Richard's point of view instead of just a straight biopic, because I think that allows you more angles and sort of interesting ways where you could tell a, a real life story. But when it comes to the portrayal of Richard, I mean, I thought there was times when, you know, like his wife would call him out or we would see that, you know, they're not really trying to paint him as a hero or a villain. But I saw it the painted as a flawed guy with good intentions who makes mistakes, but also has moments of great triumph. So I actually saw it as a more balanced uh, portrayal of, of, of him. I didn't think they were really glorifying him at all. Um, and it was to say that people like Venus and Serena didn't want to do that because, I mean, they're two of the most dedicated, driven athletes that we know in sports today. So, yeah. 
Yeah, um, no, I mean, I definitely have nothing but respect for, you know, the Williams sisters. It's just, I, I did think that, I don't know, like the way, the way they portrayed some of this stuff, I feel like it, it was just kind of laughed off in like a cute, oh, he's just like, he's just a really like protective dad. But it's like, I don't think this would feel as cute when you were 14 and this was your dad. Like, I just, I mean, he did get social services called on him um and it was just kind of played off as like he had to stand up for no i'm doing what's right and it's like eh, i'm not sure that he was like always doing what was right like obviously his children are very successful but was that like was but i think totally we're supposed to, because of him though aren't was, we supposed to realize that he that like he is obviously in the wrong in those in those in those specific moments right like and we as the audience are like oh well he's he's messing up here like we're siding with the mom when she's yelling at him but like i don't know like i guess i just saw it as more like they weren't trying to make him a hero i thought it was really nuanced in the way they told the story uh personally but i mean maybe we just read it a little different in that from that standpoint but um you know I, I thought it was interesting to like see like you know from his perspective because like you know like when he's dealing with the the gangsters in the park or we see like the yeah. relationships with the coaches and the managers and he's like intent on them not playing the circuit and doing things his way and they're like what are you doing you're crazy but at times it works out for him so i guess i just thought like that was an interesting way from a if we're talking from a sports movie standpoint because we're so used to sports movies you know like they they suck and then they get good and we see the big one shining moment at the end i don't know if this had this explicitly it felt more like a balanced up and down more realistic telling of a sports story to me so I kind of just like the nuance, nuance way in both the way Richard was portrayed and also the way that the story unfolded. Mm. Did you think it went above the regular normal sports biopic? Um, uh, no, but just because the focus really wasn't on like the actual sport itself or even the athlete on itself, it was more on the coach. Like right. it's more like, hey, what if you made Rocky? But the real focus was Mickey. It was all the coach. Like so. Um, I, f I feel like this was it wasn't as much about the athlete and the actual sport I mean even in the finale like she loses like it's all built up into this match that she doesn't even win but the success still comes even without the win and like some of that kind of felt a little uneven that and the film ended on a loss like not her like it then showed clips of her later being successful but the overall story didn't build up into a see like this created greatness it then builds up into we'll see this girl lost and then that's okay but like but it's okay because okay. she's super successful and i don't know i just it just didn't it didn't satisfy me i wasn't very friday satisfied night, by this friday night of it. friday night lights ends in a loss so i mean it's not i don't think that it really like matters if there's a winner or a loss but i agree the movie's not really about tennis so it's hard to say that it's even really a sports movie it's almost it is almost just like this is a character study about richard williams and yeah. tennis is almost the backdrop of it but like i would have liked to have seen more like tennis in the movie because <clears throat> i feel like that's a sport where we don't have a ton of like huge movies that take place with tennis so mm -hmm. and i feel like tennis inherently by its nature is set up to have like cool cam camera angles and shots so like you yeah. could i felt like you could have had like a cool integrated like modern tennis shotting but i guess that wasn't the point of the movie because again tennis was more of the backdrop to tell the story of richard yeah and there were things i like like there was one line i actually wrote down it was uh he said don't get much sleep do you and richard answers don't nothing come to sleep to a sleeper but a dream i was like hmm, that's a good line <laughs> yeah. I wrote that line down but yeah, yeah i do think 
if I took away one thing from the film, I would say, like, yes, that man felt there was safety for his children inside the tennis courts than if they were out in the streets. But I think there's a fine line between helping your children achieve a more successful, happier route than you had and projecting your needs through them by being like overly he's definitely extra he's definitely extra there's no doubt about that like there there is definitely something to be said about you know being a parent a helicopter parent like this being overly ambitious pushing your kids too hard etc etc i just didn't think it was really telling that story because i think venus and serena wanted to be pushed that hard and that's why they are mm. where they are now. So I guess I just view it more like were his were his were his methods perfect? Hell no. But did it get the job done? Yes. So it's just kind of like more looking at it from all those different angles, you know, where nobody's necessarily right or wrong, but everyone has some good points and bad points. I guess that's just how I kind of look <clears> at it. But yeah, and again, this is all our take on the, the fictional like interpretation of these characters to this movie like we're not saying yeah, we're reviewing the, the movie the, yeah not the real richard or the real venus and serena it's just this is what the we're film reviewing a movie was, here yeah, <laughs> yeah. all right so, what, yeah. what grade would you give it b minus okay i gave it a seven out of ten so uh good not great i thought it had some nuanced storytelling to it uh mike maybe less so but uh you know if you if you definitely are into the fans of the uh william sisters you might as well check it out <clears throat> or sports yeah. really so uh, it was on hbo max not sure if it is anymore, but you can probably run it soon. Um, so from that to uh, another movie, and we'll j- we'll get Evan in here uh, because it's one that he saw a long time ago. And it's from uh, Edgar Wright, who has given us uh, lots of cool movies in the past, uh, off- often uh, sort of eccentric genre bending films. But uh, this one, as I said, directed by Edgar Wright, an aspiring fashion designer is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s when she encounters a dazzling wannabe singer, but the glamour is not all it appears to be, and the dreams of the past start to crack and splinter into something darker. Uh, this film is starring Thomasin McKenzie, Anya Taylor-Joy, and Matt Smith, as well as Diana Rigg. Uh, those are sort of your four main uh, big names that are in this movie. Um, Evan, you saw this a while ago. I just watched it last night. I, um, I thought... You know, I'll, I'll toss it to you, but, you know, I, for my money, this movie was I've been wanting to see it for a while. It looked interesting to me. Uh, I, I love Edgar Wright's movies because they're so interesting and unique and you never know kind of it's it always seemed to like bring in like three or four different genres. So you never know how it's all going to come together. Um, but uh, I thought this movie started strong. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and didn't end strong. Um, I think that the best way to describe this film is uh the old adage style but ultimately not substance um it looks amazing uh the colors the the design um the outfits um the lighting i mean the sounds i mean it just and then later in the film when it gets when we really start to kind of bend reality it's it's a it's a crazy visual trip trip. yeah (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it looks just uh awesome but at the end of the day um the story was just didn't didn't come together it was just clunky and kind of it was almost like it was a letdown the the resolution uh or the the ending kind of what we find out and um i don't know i'm with you i think that you know there was a lot to like um setting out the premise was really great and then once we got kind of towards the conclusion i just felt like it, it just kind of fell apart um and you know t- 
to some degree, we need some like cohesive story here that makes sense and that, you know, the viewers can follow. And ultimately, it just felt like they they had a lot of good ideas, but the script kind of didn't come together for them. And I just remember it being like, man, that was just bizarre and it didn't make a ton of sense. And, you know, so that that was my main take on it. And you kind of alluded to where, you know, you thought it started strong and then kind of went off the rails. Well, I mean, Edgar Wright is awesome. I, I really like his movies. Like, I don't know how many of you've seen, but like Scott Pilgrim versus the world is like a sci-fi comedy musical. You've got like Baby Driver, which is like an action musical. You know, The World's End is like a horror comedy. Um, and this one is sort of like a horror fantasy noir film, I guess. Like, it really brings in influences from all over. Um, I, I, I really thought this premise was awesome. And it looks great. Like, this movie for the first two thirds, like, feels sort of like old school Hollywood cinema to me. Like it's, it's yeah. transporting you. It's, it's obviously got the time uh, traveling uh, influence, but it, from a, it's very distinct in it's in its style with the neon everywhere and the lights that shine on her in a room. Like early on, I was getting vibes of uh, this movie. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but it's called the neon demon and it's about models in California and there's this vibrant neon everywhere. And in that movie, the mm -hmm. models like literally start eating each other, which is obviously like a symbolism of, you know, them just, you know, basically eating each other in the model world. Like this is about fashion designers. So it's not quite like that, but you still get the sense like at the start of the movie that this is like a cutthroat world, like th that's filled with pressure, this fashion designing. And that sort of puts our character, Thomas and Mackenzie Eloise in sort of like a, a, a messed up state of mind to begin with she's got this looming thing with her mom uh over top of her and then she starts to have these hallucinations hallucin uh hallucinate hallucin why can't i say that right now hallucinations like, hallucinations my god there gosh. you go <laughs> uh the silver bullet's getting me over here um but but from a i agree 100 evan it looks amazing it looks mm -hmm. so cool uh with like the noir and the lights um, the music is awesome. They're always on point in Edgar Wright's movies. And I think the 1960s shots in particular are amazing. You really get transported back there. And uh, it, the 60s at least allows Edgar Wright to make very purposeful music selections. And I think that allows a lot of creativity and really drives the start of the movie when we're still building up because we have like these fun uh, sort of out of this world uh, musical sequences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and and. Yeah, I mean, all of that. It, it, it was the issue that I had was with a film like this, don't you need to kind of either commit to we're going to remain in reality or we're going to go off the rails like Neon Demon or uh, like the the theater film with Natalie Portman, like where we know it's it's like a night hellish nightmare and it's not really. Um, it's taking place in the real world and it's symbolic and it's, it's kind of, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like the decision needs to be made as to what is actually happening and what is just a uh, symbol or a metaphor. And here I felt like you didn't know. <laughs> yeah, you know? I, I think that's some of Edgar Wright trying to, to blend the genres like he does. And maybe it didn't, wasn't as successful uh, yeah. in this movie, but like it, in terms of the story, like I agree, it starts to unravel in the, in the last act because it's, it mm -hmm. sort of just becomes sort of like a standard horror romp with all this, these scary like raper ghosts in it. I don't know, like <laughs> it was predictable, 
like I, I called out like I knew who the the guy with the white hair was. I knew who Diana Rigg was like it was all very predictable in the end. And I guess uh, considering the guy who was behind the camera and the cast that you had and sort of the buildup that this movie had, I guess I was expecting something a little more original and something that I hadn't really seen before. Yeah. And it just kind of became a standard uh, horror CGI romp. And I guess that was disappointing not to say that it it didn't look awesome because it did and it was entertaining enough to watch, but I guess I was hoping for just a little bit more. Yeah. And it felt like they almost felt like they had to explain everything and how it was happening when it's already kind of a crazy story. This girl's transporting to the past in her dreams, you know, and then they decided we're going to try to create like this ending that's believable and lays it out as to why it happened. And and so it's just, yeah, I'm with you. I, I ended up giving it, I had it down as a seven on IMDb, but I think I walked away thinking like six and a half. I'm at a seven just because it looked amazing and it was still fun to watch. And Annie Taylor-Joy and Thomas and McKenzie are both really good. I think like, can we like, we talked about this with Annie Taylor-Joy and Queens Gambit when we reviewed that, like her face, like just like the way she can just like act without doing like anything like is incredible like she conveys so much emotion just from doing nothing and thomas and mckenzie the same thing it's like mm-hmm. the it's like the strong cheekbone crew and they're like they're just like so good at acting in subtle ways i don't even know how to describe it but you know what i mean like yeah and i mean i think that um because we know they're talented and they did a good job with what they were given here. That's why I think, you know, it was a bit of a letdown. The expectations were higher and I think they did as good as they could have given the script, but ultimately it didn't give them as many moments to, um, you know, just to shine. You know, there, there comes that end where she's just like constantly bewildered and terrified and it just gets ridiculous. So yeah, six and a half is what I landed on for this one. We also aren't sure who exactly we're supposed to root for in the end because it kind of becomes kind of like, oh, I guess it's okay that she, you know, did this horrible thing. Yeah. You know, like it's yeah. a little messy. I agree. Could have been better, I think, is is the uh, could have been better style over substance. I think, you know, if we were going to yeah. do a, a pod consensus, that's where we're at. But probably still worth watching. If You know, I, it is for just for how it looks and the music is fun. So yeah, that's last night. That's last night in Soho. Uh, I think you can rent it. Uh, that's what I did last night. So uh, if you want to check it out, go for it. So, um, all right, guys, let's keep trucking along here on the January 9th, 2022 version of the second day film podcast. Uh, we're going to move along here to the second half of the show. I believe all three of us have seen uh, these last two titles, uh, beginning with the power of the dog. Uh, this film was directed by Jane Campion, which which really throws me for a loop, a loop every time I read that because I just want to add an H there, guys. I just want to add an H there. It looks <laughs> weird for it. Uh, but uh, <laughs> charismatic rancher Phil Burbank inspires fear and awe on those around him. When his brother brings home a new wife and her son, Phil torments them until he finds himself exposed to the possibility of love. Uh, this movie stars an ensemble cast led by Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten Dunst, our boy Jesse Plemons, uh, and Cody Smith McPhee. Those are the more uh, the four main players there. I swear, every time we talk about Jesse Plemons, it's like what? Like he's doing something weird in every movie we talk about Jesse Plemons. Like it, it just cracks me up. Uh, but I liked this movie. It was. Uh, 
I don't know if it was my favorite and most enjoyable thing to watch, uh, but Mike, we haven't heard from you for a while. So give us a, give us a brief thought on the power of the dog. I mean, it's quite the character study in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think if you want to boil this movie down to kind of one uh, simple message, it's don't underestimate people. Uh, This is a movie that, you, you watch this narrative unfold where there's it's about these two brothers and you think maybe it's going to be about their conflict, but then it doesn't seem to be about their conflict. And then it's about Benedict Cumberbatch and, and then it's more about this young man. And like, you're not really sure where the focus of this story is or even on what is the main narrative? Like, what is the, what is the, what is the plot really? And the plot is mm-hmm, just kind of, mm-hmm. There are these two ranch ranchers that are brothers. One's a rough guy. One's more of a, wants to be like a city slicker. Um, There's a widow and the city slicker brother uh, takes the widow in and and marries her. She has uh, a son. And then the, the rougher brother uh, takes a kind of a liking, shall we say to the son. And then he dies. And like, I, I I really, (laughs) I'm not making up like that's kind of the whole movie uh that's it's it's just kind of a, a character study and you do kind of wonder at the end you're like what was that like what yeah. like, it was great acting it, it's slow slow a little bit but the, those performances draw you in um but when it's done you're kind of you're not sure, sure what you're supposed to do or what you're supposed to make of it but i guess if i did have to boil it down to something it's this is a movie about don't underestimate people uh yeah so I guess we'll leave, that's all I have to say about it. I well, <laughs> uh, so you yes, said it's you. well. You said it's slow. Yes, this is a slow burn of a film. Um, so Champ and I saw a movie in theaters called "The, the Sacred Killing of a Deer." What was it called? Champ? Killing of the Sacred Deer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know if you've seen that. Like this movie, <laughs> uh, "Power of the Dog," made me think of that. And totally different stories, but both of them are incredibly slow, very uncomfortable and almost unsettling to watch. And you don't even know where the movie's going until halfway through. Um, that was more unsettling. But this, you know, they want us to feel really uncomfortable uh, while watching this. Um, and I'll say, I appreciated this movie more after I watched it. And after I read a little one-on-one interview with um, the main character. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch? No, no, no. Cody Smith McPhee, um, who plays Peter. I read a, a, a oh. one-on-one interview that he had done. And I was able to appreciate the film more in, in that he discussed little things that maybe we wouldn't notice. Um, you know, his character... Um, yeah, I think we underestimate him. And as he kind of becomes um, almost darker as the film goes on, and then we've got Benedict Cumberbatch's character who becomes softer and shows more personality and reaches a point where, you know, you actually are starting to see a real human being there. And then, of course, Peter, his character, he's already decided what he was going to do to Phil. Um, and like little things like at the end, he puts his white shoes back on and, um, I I didn't really enjoy watching it all that much, but when I read a little bit more about it, I could appreciate what they were trying to do. I guess if that makes sense. No, 
I agree. I mean, it, it's not a fun watch. It's not rewatchability, not great on this movie. It's not something you're just going to like pop in on a Wednesday and, you know, enjoy some popcorn with, you know, it's kind of just like uh, it's an actor showcase. It's a, it, it unfolds in a very subtle and sort of uh, just just sort of natural way where we're sort of watching these interpersonal dynamics uh, unfold. You know, you don't you don't really know what's going to happen uh, from scene to scene. It's sort of episodic in that way where it's just all these sort of different character interactions. Um, but it, the one constant is the tension in the relationships, mm. you know, uh, whether it's mm-hmm. jealousy or resentment that's building up or loneliness. Um, and throughout the movie, what I appreciated about it is you, at, at some point you feel bad for pretty much every single one of these people because they're not like, I mean, outside of maybe Phil from the start, I don't think there are any of them are terrible characters. They they grow to be like sort of nuanced characters, but like uh, you feel bad for them at any point because you can see that like they they might want to mean well, but they don't know how to portray that or say it or convey it to each other. They don't know how to confide in each other and mm-hmm. none of them can connect. And it's heartbreaking t- in that way because you see them try and undercut each other uh, almost out of resentment but the resentment comes from the fact that they don't know how to connect with each other, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a lot of really good performances in this film. Like I said, even though it is slow, the performances do draw you in and um, they really do kind of invite you into that kind of Western world and show you, it was, it was hard to live like back then it was hard to live out there. And, and that kind of made harder people. And that also did kind of make connecting harder because, you know, you were so focused on survival and on, on certain social norms you had to follow back then that it was just hard for people to be themselves. So right. Phil is afraid yeah. to show any emotion because right. that's just like how he's supposed to act. And he's the mm-hmm. tough guy. Yeah. 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 I, I think it was, I think what, what's powerful in that, in, in how it ends is Phil has finally come to a point where, He's he's kind of overcome some of his flaws and reached a point where he's willing to accept Peter, but yet Peter had already decided to do what he decided to do. So you almost feel bad for Phil in that way. Um, and then Peter's character kind of, you don't feel bad for him. He ends up becoming almost the villain of the film without <laughs> trying to spoil it. But um, yeah, it was, it was certainly... Um, not a rewatchable film to your point. Do you, I mean, did you feel like, cause yeah, I agree. Like it, it almost feels like it's supposed to end on an optimistic note because Phil, yeah, he dies, but like he learns, he grows. So maybe there's some optimism there, but I I didn't really feel like optimism because it is like you make progress only to die, you know? And so it's like, Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, the film looked great. I think it, it sort of had like this gray dull color scale that kind of adds to the, the depressing uh, nature of the whole thing. Were there any performances that stood out to you? I mean, I, th- I thought across the board, they were pretty good. Um, uh, but Benedict Cumberbatch, I think is, is particularly good in this. And then uh, Kirsten Dunst, man, she's uh, pretty impressive there at the end when she's kind of breaking down and sort of trying to get him to take the, the, the hides out of spite and, you know, she's on drugs and it's really a tragic story when it comes to her, but I guess she turns it around at the end. So maybe this is, I mean, as, as much of a drag as, as this is, are we supposed to feel like it ends optimistically? Um, I, I don't know about that. I think what we, I think what we end up learning is that uh, Cody Smith McPhee, who was great as well. I think he and the other, he and Kirsten Dunst and Benedict Cumberbatch were amazing. 
you know, we're supposed to feel that he, to Mike's original point, you shouldn't underestimate him. And he was going to do whatever he had to do to make sure his mom was happy. And in this case, he had to take a very drastic measure. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I guess the fact that we don't know how we're supposed to feel about it maybe was the point. Well, you pointing that out does make me think more that like, yeah, it's about him learning to come into his own, you know, and, and really just, you know, become the guy who's going to take matters into his own hands and not just yeah. let his mom get taken advantage of or, um, you know, he's going to. And that comes from from Phil and his mom, sort of like the combined uh, encouragement from the, the people impacting him in his life. So maybe his uh, Phil's legacy gets carried on through him in a sort of uh, interesting way. So, yeah, it's not a, a super uh, wonderful, heartwarming film, um, but it's definitely well acted, well written, I think. Um, and if, if you really like want to see actors uh, chop up the screen, uh, this is a good one for that because it really mm-hmm. is an actor's showcase and, and there's some really talented uh, acting going on on screen. So uh, I give it a six and a half out of five. Did we get a grade from you, Mike? Or six and a half out of ten. B minus for Mike. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Did, you gave one, right, Evan? No, I didn't. But no, I gave it uh, I would give it a uh, six and a half uh, as well out of ten. Though I thought, you know, Jesse Plemons being called fatso the entire film, that was very rude. So I, I like Jesse well, Plemons and, you know, come on. He's a great actor. He is a really, in his own, in his own interesting way, he is a good actor. I've heard him called Fat Damon before because he looks like Matt Damon, but he's junky. Well, you know, in this case, his brother's actually calling him fat. So the entire film, but yeah, I thought, he had, the, I thought he had the least to do um, in terms of the range of the role. But yeah, it was yeah. good performances for sure. Right. I, I I did like seeing them together. Like I know that Jesse and Kristen are, they're married in real life, but it was nice to like they should do more movies together. They're they're pretty great together, I think. On screen. Well, we saw them in season two of Fargo. That was interesting. Mm. So, have you seen the Fargo TV show? I've seen the film, not the not the show. Likewise, uh, show show's great. You guys should check it out. It's an anthology, so each season's new. Cool. Um, but uh, so yeah, definitely worth checking out. Um, all right, let's move on to our final uh, one here. It's uh, Don't Look Up. Uh, no, Mike and Evan can see me right now. I'm up on the space station with Meryl Streep. Uh, it's a podcast. You guys can't see me looking down on, on Earth there. It, uh, it's looking a little more fiery than usual, unfortunately. Um, so I hope you guys' bunkers or wherever the heck you are uh, hold up until, at least until the end of the podcast. We'll send help in 22,000 years. <laughs> um, but uh, this film is directed by uh, Adam McKay. Uh, another one of those auteurs who definitely has a very distinct style. Uh, but two low-level astronomers must go on a giant media tour to warn mankind of an approaching comet that will destroy planet Earth. Uh, this film is directed by, as I said, Adam McKay. It stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence, Meryl Streep, Kate Blanchett, uh, Rob Morgan, Jonah Hill, Mark Rylance, Tyler Perry, Ron Perlman, Timothy Chalamet, Ariana Grande, Kid Cudi, Himesh Patel, uh, Michael Chiklis, Melanie Linsky. I mean, this holy cast in this movie. Um, and the best part of it, Evan, I'm throwing it to you, of course, is we get to see Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence, perhaps the two biggest stars in Hollywood, representing mm-hmm. the Michigan State University in this movie. <laughs> and I don't really care what else happens in this movie. That's a win. Well, just having those two in the same film, I mean, I consider each of them to be among the greatest uh, actors uh, and actresses in Hollywood. I mean, 
they've, you know, you can look at the resume. It's great. Yeah. Um, so this was a really funny movie. I laughed a lot. Um, I thought that it was just so spot on. I mean, everything from, you know, how outrageous the, the political landscape is, um, the presidential, <laughs> for the presidential office and her administration, uh, everything from that to bash the cell phone company, which is determined to solve all of the world's problems. And uh, as Champ alluded to in his lead in, no, they could not solve all of the world's problems. Uh, so I laughed a lot. I thought it was was funny. thought it was spot on. I think, though, um, for satire to really hit um, and, be, and be powerful, you almost have to at some point make it not as funny as it is. There has to be a shift towards a more serious emotional aspect of the film to get the most out of what they're trying to say. I'm sorry, is the entire planet getting blown up not serious enough for you, Evan Dean? It's a serious topic, but the way it's being presented the entire time is with just joke after joke after joke. It isn't until we have a few moments when they're getting ready uh, to eat dinner and we see, um, you know, know, people awaiting their impending death that you start to really take the emotional, make an emotional connection with what the filmmakers are trying to do. And obviously we know Leo is a huge environmentalist. That is his thing. Um, And so he's passionate about this, but um, you know, it was just so like slapstick that uh, I think because of that, I really enjoyed it, but I don't know if the message was quite as powerful in the end as it could have been. And maybe that wasn't what they were going for, but uh, I think to me that that could have made it better. Mike, I'll toss it to you in a second here, but, Breaking news on the Second Day Film Podcast, actor Bob Saget has died at the age yeah. of 65. So what stinks. Uh, that's not cool. Uh, so uh, iconic uh, actor and comedian, obviously. Uh, so that's, man, I swear these celebrity deaths come in yeah. three, man. It's, Full it's, house, it's, man. It, it's crazy. Uh, so RIP Danny Tanner uh, and surprisingly raunchy comedian. Uh, after oh, yeah. playing like a wholesome uh, dad on Full House for all those years, he goes and does this raunchy stand-up. So, uh, yeah, that 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 sucks, man. Not to bring down the mood, but um, just you know, we're recording and the stuff happens, so I figured I got to mention it. Um, but Mike, maybe you can wow. give a brief thought on that. So, I mean, that's that's crazy. Uh, so, R.I.P. Bob Saget. But <laughs> yeah, we're gonna truck forward here. So, give us your thoughts on Don't Look Up and I mean, that sucks about Bob Saget though. Yeah, I mean, this is this is me kind of learning about Bob Saget passing live. Um, I guess our, our thoughts to his family and loved ones. And uh, yeah, he was a, I mean, I grew up watching Full House. Uh, that's kind of where I knew him from, like a lot of people. And then I would see later stuff with him where it was like, oh, wow, he's very raunchy and dark and has like a mouth on him. Um, but yeah, I've heard, I've heard he was a decent guy and he could be maybe tough but fun and and loving and generous and uh yeah i obviously didn't know this person but uh yeah rest in peace to bob saga he was a legend yeah we've lost lost three three big names betty white uh sydney poitier and then bob saga you're right they do kind of come in threes so let's hope we don't have any more for a while but rest in peace bob saga just 
sorry, I'm cold, totally going on a tangent now, but Orange County Sheriff's Office uh, went to the Ritz-Carlton in Orlando. This is according to the Orange County Sheriff's Office. Went to the Ritz-Carlton, Grand Lakes, for a call about an unresponsive man in a hotel room. The man was identified as Robert Sagan, pronounced deceased on the scene to Texas Founds. Detectives found no signs of foul play or drug use. So uh, more information to be coming on that. But uh, let's bring it back to Don't Look Up. We'll finish out this pod. Uh, I mean, I like this movie quite a bit. It's clearly a satire. Uh, I mean, I think there's going to be a large faction of people who simply don't get what this movie's trying to do. And it's just going to go right over their heads, uh, probably because those are the people that it's making fun of. And to be clear, this movie's making fun of pretty much everyone uh, uh, and just sort of making fun of the ridiculous situation we are currently in. Obviously, we're talking about a comet here. And I know McKay has said this. The comet is supposed to represent uh, climate change in the movie, um, which is clear. But I think you could just as easily compare it to COVID right now in the way that mm-hmm. uh, people are denying scientists and, and data that is seemingly right in front of mm-hmm. them. And the movie's constantly pointing out how uh, we as a society are always worrying about the wrong things. Leo's on a national TV trying to tell people about impending doom and they're busy talking about Ariana Grande and Kid Cudi getting back together. Like it's just sort of t- <laughs> like totally, uh, totally right in your face about how we as americans not even americans we as people love distractions instead of focusing on the 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 real issues and the things that are coming and the impending doom so we sort of uh just insulate ourselves with distractions so uh you know i thought from that standpoint the movie was was pretty dead on but evan i agree like you mentioned the slapstick it's very heavy handed. I mean, they, there's nothing mm-hmm. subtle about this movie Mm-mm. and Adam McKay isn't subtle. I mean, you think about him as a director. Uh, he's a guy, you know, who started his career making Will Ferrell comedies like Step Brothers and Talladega Nights. And, and now he's doing like these smart textured layered satires on real life topics. So I sort of think the his progression as a director is interesting, but obviously the timing of the topic is hilarious. Um, so the performances were funny. The entire film just feels really cynical in general. And mm-hmm. that sort of gets to the point where it gets a little silly, uh, I think, because like, uh, you know, it, it's just there's I just don't I agree. I don't want the message to get lost in just the ridiculousness of it all. So, I mean, Mike, do you have any other thoughts? I mean, you, I know you kind of reacted to Bob Saget more than anything. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. Just still, still trying to process everything. Um, You're fine. Yeah. Don't look up. Um personally for me it was one of my favorite movies of 2021 i think it was just kind of like in some ways the movie of its moment you know like with everything that's happened in the last year and especially you know as it as it is kind of like a a satire about really about climate change um Mm -hmm. it it just felt very real even though it was uh you know a fictional story about a comet um, it was a depressingly accurate, like sharp take on what is happening in society and what is happening uh, with our planet. <laughs> and um, it was very funny, but uh, if anything, it was just more like, wow, this is so crazy. It's accurate. Like in some <laughs> ways it was just kind of, it, it did make me feel like a little like, yes, that's right. Like they're getting them. And it doesn't really matter because nothing can seem to change. And like you said, being in like, you know, for us right now, I think uh, I'm in, we're in stage five here in Austin, Texas for uh, COVID. So it's, it's just like, it it was a little bit like, 
hopeless, I guess, in that sense, uh, that it just feels like, yeah, these are all the horrible problems and this is why nothing will ever get done about them. So here we go. Like it it didn't feel like there was a resolution, but I think Mm -hmm. in some ways that's good. Like certain stories shouldn't have resolution. They should make you mad. Like you, they should make you feel sad. So that hopefully that frustration can then like, you know, challenge you to well go do something because it is, it is a movie about a comet you know, climate change, like there are things we can do. Um, and uh, yeah, it's definitely made me want to be more involved and um, do more things to live a more, you know, eco-friendly lifestyle. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a very well cast movie. Even just like the cameos, like I think one of my favorite cameos was Chris Evans, Captain America himself showing up <laughs> as a movie star making a movie about, about the thing. And then like, yeah, I think we're all just looking for some middle ground, right? Like, <laughs> It was just such a such a sharp, hilarious little take on on it, and uh, yeah, like I just I love that they made this movie. I love that they made it right now, and um, it it just it stands up there for me with with really great satires like modern satires at least like like Veep, which is a great satire of our political system, or or uh, the death of Stalin, which is a great like satire about like tyranny and 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 Stalin's reign and. Um, yeah, this is going to be the one I always think of when I think about probably climate change. So, yeah, props to everyone who made this movie. I think in some ways the darkness is what we need right now. With it's like, whoa, it wasn't very happy. It's like maybe it shouldn't be. Like maybe that's kind well, of the point, guys. Like exactly, line, we need a like, slap in the face right now. Yeah, we kind of yeah. do. Well, yeah, and I guess I guess what I I, I really liked it too. I don't want to understate that. I mean. I, you know, when I say it's spot on, it really was spot on in every way. It hit everything that's happening yeah. right now. Um, and without that- actually being in a pandemic, it touched on all the issues we have with, you know, we're dealing with with the pandemic um, yeah. and how it's being handled. Um, just that long but- line from the mom, just the we're for the jobs the comet will create. Like, oh, I know, I know. Per- <laughs> perfect. I- Perfect. I guess That's exactly uh, what would happen. Yeah. Well, the different and, yeah. factions of people show up and like, people, yeah. it's just so funny. Yeah, <laughs> the, 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 sh- the shallow celebrity. Let's have a concert, you guys. Like the like, idea that yeah, you can whatever. look up and see it happening and people still don't <laughs> believe it and say they're doing like the anti look up movement, like because like yeah. it's literally right in front of their face and they still won't believe it is fucking hilarious. That is oh, yeah. so funny for the situation yeah. we're in right now. Like in the idea that like uh like like the stinger when you know like you know whoever they survived, Meryl Streep and the elite, the presidents. And I just love the idea that like um, like humans could be like so pompous to think that they like spent all this technology and made all this money and and survived and they went out and had this miracle of time travel and they're into the future. And the second they set foot on the earth, these like rainbow zebras just eat them like humans could actually even survive on some other planet that they know nothing about (laughs) the whole thing's just really cynical and depressing but like you guys have both said that's what we need right now we need something to just be like listen idiots this is how ridiculous you look like like you think this is a movie this is what life looks like right now yeah and i think because it was so on the nose and so slapstick i would hope then nobody, I know you had said earlier, Champ, that you thought, you know, people might not understand this. I would hope that most people, because it was very aggressive and it's satire. And I think that there's a satire, especially with certain books like Animal Farm 1984, that's been done differently. 
and hasn't been all comedy and has had a more profound impact. Um, but I get that they just decided we're just going to make it hilarious. We're going to have these bird creatures eating faces and we're going to do a post credit scene of Jonah Hill, like emerging from the rubble, like, you know, like, <laughs> yelling like, for his like, like, like I was dying oh, laughing during this whole film. And my own, again, my only criticism is that because I was dying laughing the whole time, I'm not sure that I, maybe the message maybe was conveyed in a, as powerful of a way or as emotional of a way as it could have been. You don't want the message to get lost in in the comedy or in the satire. And because like I've heard a lot of, you know, scientists and and researchers come out and be like, yeah, we approve of this movie because of the message it's trying to 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 convey that, like, we need to do something. But you I agree. You hope that 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 goodwill doesn't get lost in the ridiculousness. Right. That's because people aren't going to talk about the message. They're going to talk about the ridiculous thing that happened in the movie. So then it gets drowned out. Right. Which is what we've done. Well, Mike, Mike, I think Mike, you know, what they were trying to do was was solid. But yeah, that's well said. I think I think I did feel like I get what you guys are saying. But Evan, at least for me, I think I did feel the emotional weight in certain moments, like especially at the end and with with Timothy Chalamet's character, actually, a little bit like when he read that that beautiful prayer, I thought that was really, really meaningful. I liked that they had a character who was like an ex-evangelical kid who still like believed in, in something like spiritual. Like you don't see a lot of, you don't see a lot of that in films these days. And I think a lot of people relate to that. And then even just that last line from Leo where he says, we really did have everything like that. Just mm-hmm. and to me, that's heartbreaking. Like, yeah. So I, I felt the emotional yes. weight in those moments and in the moment where they, they finally see the comment and he's like, look, just look up. And when he goes on his rant on TV like when she has her rant, like those moments, like those moments hit me, but I understand why it's others that might just come across as like maybe more comedic than intended. But I, well, I still think there was emotional moments of drama. I do too. Played. No, I do too. And I, those hit me too, especially when they're sitting around the dinner table at the end of the film. Yeah. I just don't think there was that many of those. It was mostly yeah. just hilarious. It was interesting to see like the the different ways that people would react if the world was ending. Like we see the people having like the orgy on the roof and then we see like, you know, how they're doing it where they're just having a family dinner where they all gather or we see, you know, like people just doing drugs or getting hammered or, yeah. uh, you know, like, like so it's, it, it is interesting to like ask that question, like, what would you do in your final, final moments uh, if, if the world was ending? Uh, so it, it did get a look at that, but, Ultimately, a cautionary tale of a movie that's packed with satire. If you've seen Adam McKay's other movies like Vice or uh, whatnot, his more modern recent movies, this is what they're like. They're totally out of body experiences, not going for realism whatsoever, but definitely trying to make a point uh, in a not so subtle way. So I give it a seven out of 10. Where are you guys at? I give it an A. I give that movie an A. Yeah, I went with a seven, seven point five. Um yeah, I thought it was good, you know, not my favorite, but I thought it was it was good. It's definitely worth the watch. And it's on Netflix, so you can check it out there. But uh, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Second Day Film Podcast. Uh, Evan, check your inbox. Mike has already sent you uh, several memes, uh, about 14 GIFs, and a short video of a Gollum monologue for you to review uh, before the next pod. So, Who's Gollum? Um, <laughs> uh, good question, oh, yes. good Lord. 
Evan said, Ugh. what did he say the other day in the text thread, Mike? Lord he of the said, Rings he said some, he said some ugly things. He then, yeah. he then started attacking Robin Hood. It was so I cool. said it was That was uncalled for. Heretical comments. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I said the only was Robin Hood is the only thing lamer than Lord of the Rings, which of course oh. I have no base. I have no actual basis oh. or belief in that I mean, take. If you're talking about the 2018 film, I don't disagree with you though. I, that's just, <laughs> oh, um, sorry, but yeah. Please, sorry, guys, go, guys, go see Spider Man. I've been waiting to to talk about this movie for a while. Please see it. I really don't want to spoil anything for you, so hurry up and go see it. Yeah, next pod, we're looking at some Marvel, uh, a lot of Marvel stuff to catch up on, Hawkeye, Eternal, Spider-Man, so you can look forward to the, the next pod. Hopefully it's not, you know, a month and a half. Now that football season's over, Evan and I have lost some excuses, so uh, hopefully we can get back on it. But just know, uh, listeners, that we are constantly watching things, even if we're not doing pods. We do watch a lot of stuff, so we're, well, we're, we're back logging it for you. Well, me of, and Mike watch a lot of stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but, I watch some uh, stuff. <laughs> Evan's still at least getting through the Marvel series now. But <laughs> That's right. We got to get out of here. We're going long. Mike, Evan, uh, Happy New Year. Good to, good to get back. It had been too long. Likewise. Happy New Year, boys. Happy New Year. All right. And uh, you guys know where to find our stuff for all the episodes. So for Mike Nichols and Evan Dean, I'm Brandon Champion. Thank you for listening to the Second Day Film Podcast. We'll talk to you next time, and we'll see you at the movie.